This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello, and with me, Cam Rasland, today we have the returns of, he is um, Onkarjin Onkar of Nort Labs, but he has a, a much more a specialized title than that. Uh, what, what's your title? Um, Chief Strategy Officer, but you can call it whatever you like, Cam. No, no, that, that's that's the coolest <laughs> title we we have on a bit of culture. So <laughs> it sounds really legit. You got like a business card and everything, haven't you? Yeah, you know, it's uh, you know, the kind of business card that uh, Norman Bateman in American Psycho would appreciate. <laughs> wow, that's so specific, <laughs> isn't it? Isn't it? <laughs> okay, and then we have uh, Fu Bijou. Yes. Hi, Cam. Thanks for having me back. And uh, how, how, how do we describe the many things that you are? Singer? Uh, singer, songwriter would be the most accurate, I think. Okay. That doesn't come with a business card, does it? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just direct you to my Spotify. That's my business card. We will, we will do that at the end. Um, so uh, our three topics this week are, topic number one is, is Kuala Lumpur a worthy capital city? Indeed, what is what makes a capital city? Topic number two is, and I'm going to have to read this one, is, um, Kajin, help me out here. It is... Damnatio Memoriae. Damnatio Memoriae, which is Latin for the condemnation of memory. And finally, uh, Bijou, it'll be Hari uh, Madeka and Malaysia Day. Yep. So with topic number one, it's, it's something I think about a lot, Okay. Kuala Lumpur. We three, we live in Kuala Lumpur. And we might even have been born in Kuala Lumpur. But so many people are really not from Kuala Lumpur. It's a brand new city. And I got to ask the question, is Kuala Lumpur a worthy capital city? The capital of a nation, which is pretty much the 30th largest economy in the world. Do we have a city that's worthy of that? And it's, what makes a, a, a capital city? And I would posit a couple of things. One is that we are world leaders, though, in cancel culture. <laughs> the, the powers that be here, they see culture, they cancel it. That's because right. what you don't understand, you cancel. And I think, though, that if we go back in history, we can understand why. Because Kuala Lumpur is one of the very few cities, possibly the only capital city in Southeast Asia, in the world even, that is not a port city, historically. Mm. We, we are inland. Our rivers are not navigable. Mm. Kuala Lumpur only exists because of the Industrial Revolution and tin. And so it was a factory. It's a warehouse. And <clears throat> it's also a compromise. The, it happened to be the capital of the Federated Malay States. So that excludes the unfederated Malay states of Klantan and Trunganu. It also excludes the straight settlements of Penang and Singapore. And it could and have Malacca. been... Uh, Malacca, I'm sorry. And loved one. Um, it could have been Taiping, could have been the capital. But this place was chosen because it was halfway between Penang and Singapore. And if British Malaya did have a cultural capital, it would have been Singapore. Uh, you had uh, all of P. Romney's movies were shot there. Uh, Shaw Brothers were there, and the likes of Mahathir and his contemporaries all were educated in Singapore. And uh, I don't think we have the, the bones of this place does not have culture in its culture. Mm. It's very functional, and I think that we fail as a as a capital city 
That's my thesis. What do you guys think? I think the the one thing that it definitely fails at is like the amount of uh, public green spaces that every capital city should have and public transit. Those are like prerequisites to me of a good capital city. So the mo- mobility for mm. average people is a very accessible place. Anyone can go anywhere. Well, we've mm. just spent, you know, multi-billion ringgit uh, train service. So I don't know what you're complaining about. Uh, <laughs> don't get me started. Well, I mean, I, I think, um, you know, the, there's something to be said about the, the culture or, you know, perhaps in your terms, the lack of that depth of culture. Because I've always felt Kuala Lumpur is a very malleable place. Like, you know, people, like so many people who have come to KL and work in KL and set up families in KL, you know, they they come in their 20s or 30s. Like my parents came from Malacca, right? And many people's parents came from somewhere else. And even now, today, a lot of my colleagues uh, are coming from Ipoh and Taiping and whatnot. And so I think there's something to be said that there's a reason why there's not that kind of tangible way to say, oh, this is what KL is, or this is what KL culture is, because there's constantly this influx and it can be so many things to so many people. Yeah, I agree. But I agree, I agree. And, and Bijou, I mean, you know, uh, there are younger KLites now who, you know, you got to make, I think in this town, if you're going to, if you want to find culture, you got to do it yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and Bijou, you do it yourself. Yes, and I will say that I have seen like so many like sub communities come alive in KL, and 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 they they are thriving. You know, for example, we have a a whole like ballroom scene happening. You know, really? um, a la pose. Really? You know, like the yes, and they hold it. like fabulous balls and it's such an, an inclusive space where everyone is literally welcome and like you know um we have like it's it, there's so many little pockets of like cultural spaces that i have seen for for myself and also like sometimes um vicariously through my friends instagram stories <laughs> but um i i think despite the the lack of bones that, that would set up a normal capital city, I think KL has done well for itself in terms of culture. Uh, ballroom sim, I had no idea. Yeah, I mean, young people, what kind of ages are we talking about? We're talking like mm, 20s to 30s. Really? Yeah. yeah. And so they're cool. fabulous. And they're then they really dress the whole, the whole... Oh, yes. And when you watch them dance, your jaw drops to the floor. What kind of places is this happening? Um, select venues. <laughs> well, so you, you say select venues because you you know the you know what quite why I mean. As soon as the powers that be discover this kind of thing, it's like the, it's the death kiss, kiss of death. I find, Kajin. I mean, I don't know. Can you build on uh, Bijou's optimism? Yeah, I mean, no. I I think um, you're absolutely right. Like you know, the other day I I attended this wonderful um, opera performance um, or opera a kind of uh, can- cantella's performance by this group called Versus right and yeah. yeah and then doing doing Schubert songs right um, and you're like where in the world did these guys pop up from 
but you know, it turns out there's like, like, like you know, like Bijou, you said, there's all these subcultures, there's, there's punk bands, there's a very rich house music culture. And I think what differentiates, say, maybe KL versus, say, somewhere like Singapore is that the, the arms of the state are not as omnipresent and omniscient. Um, and so, you know, when, you know, when we talk about culture in Singapore, inevitably there's a minister somewhere there lurking in the background or some civil servant, right? And here I think it's very much more underground, more niche, more kind of, you know, yeah. you know if you know. I, I agree, but then that there are there is a situation where, you know, if you're putting on a, if you want to put on a performance, which is going to, you're talking about quite small crowds with these things, but if you want to mm-hmm. have a performance in a theatre space where you're going to entertain 600 people. Yeah. Um, is it? I think it's in Slangor or is it in KL? I'm not quite sure. Bijou, you might know. You got to pay the tax Langor. on all those tickets. Slangor. Yes. Yeah. Um, but DBKL is is not far behind that. And you know, it's interesting you say this because, like, for example, yesterday, right, uh, right in uh, smack in Bukit Bintang, uh, my friends from Fono KL they curated like a secret concert featuring the band No Good. The mm. amount of people that showed up, the mosh pit, the crowd surfing. You know, and on um, a couple of days ago, uh, there were three major indie gigs happening at different venues at the same time. Ankasa Riot, which was held in support of Ankasa Space that was shut down by DBKL as well over this like illogical licensing thing. There was the Lonely Hearts Club um, uh, happening at the B and there was this other gig whose name I forgot, but it was like all on the same day. Okay. Oh, and, and Discoria that was at Rex KL. You know, so it's like we have so many venues, so many communities and people are, I find that the level of appreciation that Malaysian, the public has for Malaysian arts is growing and I only see it continue to grow. And that's a good sign. Yeah, I agree. So the the moral of the story is um, do it yourself. Yeah, that is the Malaysian ethos right we thrive in spite of the lack of support and resources yeah okay all right well then we move now to uh topic number two by the way if you have any thoughts on this uh, dear listener do tell us and we move on to topic number two which is i'm going to read it again damnatio memoriae the condemnation of memory Kajin. yes um so you know it's a it's a latin term but it, it refers to this roman punishment where basically, you know, um, like Emperor Nero and Caligula, they, you know, they did horrible things, right? And afterwards, when when they fell from power, um, often the Senate would pass uh, a sort of ruling that we, what we're going to do is we're going to erase all public mention and memory of these horrible people. Um, you know, this is where you see a lot of like statues with their heads lopped off, right? And like defaced, vandalized kind of uh, murals and stuff like that. So is this practice where, you know, for Romans, this idea of history, this idea of legacy and ancestor worship was very, very important. And so, you know, they, being erased off this history and records is a pretty terrible punishment. But you're saying it's a good thing i mean you'd like to see this brought well, back again like with gladiator well, I mean, gladiatorial games and stuff <laughs> yeah well no i mean i think um why i'm thinking about damnatio memoria and this kind of like erasure of memory right is because you know you know we 
live in a kind of like era where on, on you know on Twitter and social media, like you were saying, cancel culture, right? So and and one of the things that we do when we see something um, horrible is it, it it becomes viral. You know, everyone talks about it, everyone comments and shares about it. And in some ways, I wonder whether it's an effective way of combating that kind of behavior. I mean, you know, you, you know, this, this is what, I mean, people were talking about when Donald Trump rose to power precisely because people were so disgusted by his behavior that, you know, it, he just became an icon, right? His notoriety aided his campaign rather than hindered it. Yeah. So, but just to be clear, with, with, with that uh, Damnacio um, Memoriae that you're talking about, that would have been... Uh, conducted by the top, the emperor or the senate or whatever would say, we hereby declare that this person is um, persona non grata. Another bit yeah, I mean, um, you know, like the historical records show that it was a really a mixture of both where sometimes people were just so angry at the particular emperor that they'd do it themselves and the senate would be like, yeah, yeah, you know, um, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Don't, 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 don't prosecute people for vandalizing. I mean, I think... You know, it's not really a Roman-specific thing. You, I mean, you saw, you, you can see this, like, you know, I feel like the fall of the Berlin Wall, it's its own kind of cathartic kind of thing where people want to take down something that's so symbolic, like the fall of, like, Stalin statues after, you know, the fall of the Soviet Union and something like that, I don't think is so far from those. Yeah. Uh, Bijou, tear down, tear down those statues? We don't have any statues, but uh, hmm. nothing ever changes. Cancel culture is Roman. Who knew? <laughs> I don't know. I I, <laughs> I feel like, you know, this whole thing about history being erased, we, we see it happening already, right? Mm-hmm. In in our history books, in our um architectural uh ar- ar- archaeological uh, sites and all that. Mm-hmm. Um I don't think it's that far off. Mm. It's just an instinct. It yeah. just it just happens. Can I just say with um the ancient Greeks I mean, and the Romans, they, they took their culture from Greece. Uh, the, the worst punishment you could get there, as a Greek man, I mean, Greek women and slaves, well, that was a different story. But as a Greek man, was exile. Mm. So the, mm. the city of Athens would say, you are now in exile. You would have to leave. And you sort of think, well, it's not so bad. You could go on holiday to Greek island. But <laughs> it was considered um, a fate worse than death, or death itself, because you lost your purpose you lost mm-hmm. your meaning your identity mm-hmm. if you if you were just knocking around thebes but you're an athenian you were you were nothing mm. and um <clears throat> but now i don't know we can escape to other places so you could become damnasio memoriae in malaysia but you could probably be okay somewhere else I don't know. The digital footprint we we leave these days is so vast, and mm-hmm. and um, you know, like the other day I saw on Twitter, um, that uh, that got that swimmer, that American swimmer, that uh, I think raped someone uh, behind the uh, dumpster, and then he only got like three months for it. I can't remember his name, Brock something. Right, right, yeah, yeah. Right. And then he was apparently spotted in like a different city, a different town, and people outed him and say like, beware, you know, he's been seen around bars and this and that. Mm-hmm. It feels like you, it's hard to go anonymous these days or be erased. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was thinking, actually, I was watching an old movie just yesterday about a swindle. It was set in the 1890s. And I was thinking, 
this is in the States, if you swindled somebody in New York and if you just sort of like got on a stagecoach and went down to Texas, then what the hell are they going to do? They can never. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but can I ask a, a question? The powers that be, the people who run the place, who could who could put down these edicts of damnatio memoriae, right now they were not born in the internet age. They know nothing about it, mm-hmm. don't understand it. But soon we're going to have generations coming who will be in charge and who've uh, known it their whole time. And also, presumably, the ability to press a button and erase somebody's internet profile mm. forever would be a possibility. And wouldn't that be a fate worse than death? Well, I mean, um, you know, I, I, there's a particular episode of Black Mirror, you know, when we're talking about sort of dystopian tech, tech um, where the this guy, like, they basically live their lives virtually, right? So they're in virtual reality all the time. They, they kind of, like, exist as a social media profile. The digital you is very much you, you. Mm. Um, and what happens is that this guy, basically, he does uh, something illegal that's deemed illegal by the moderators of this platform, and his punishment is to be rendered invisible. So he goes around this virtual reality world and no one can see him. He shouts at them that all they don't hear anything. And he... I mean, that is a fate worse than death for him, right? Mm. Um, and I feel like, you know, it, it's, a, it's a kind of tricky thing with, to think about when it comes to, say, Twitter. And, you know, there's, there's a talk... I think today when we talk about uh, Twitter, it's very much, very much in the terms of, say, what, what is a platform, Right. And mm. what does it mean to de-platform someone, right? So, mm. like with Donald Trump or someone, the more you, recently. yeah, you know, the more you 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 tweet back at him to like cuss him out or something, the the higher he ranks in the algorithm. Yep. And in fact, the, the only the only effective thing Twitter did in the end was to de basically kick him off the platform and basically delete all his tweets. In effect, a kind of damnatio memoriae of his whole Twitter existence. Hmm. Hmm, I don't know. Yeah. Well, Bijou, is that... I mean, you're a good person, Bijou. You're not going to get... You never know. You never know. You never know. You never know. But you you or indeed your friends, would you, if you were deemed to have done something bad by the council of elders, (laughs) would it be a scary thing? I think, I think so. for younger people, I think. I, I think so, because, like, you're right. Uh, we don't, we don't need, like, I if I just look at myself, right? Mm. I live a large part of my life online, too. I mean, I, I do have an offline version of my life that is fulfilling and, and joyful and whatnot, but a large part, part of my life and my work exists online. So if that happened to me, I think it would be devastating. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Wow. I've never heard anybody actually say, you have an offline version of your life. <laughs> you know? And you didn't really say it very kind of strongly either. It's like, I, I do have enough, like, don't I? <laughs> it's, like, it's like, it's funny these days how like, if, if I go out and meet a friend and if we, we put our phones aside and, and agree to really spend time and focus on each other. Mm. It's considered the exception instead of the norm today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then do you find you got nothing to talk about? 
oh no, oh no, no. I well, only but you definitely do. Or, you definitely say something like, what movie was that person in? Like, oh, I got to Google it. No, 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 cannot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, well, okay. Well, Kajin, um, you're, you're presumed to see yourself as being on the Council of Elders and, uh, and pressing the button on people. Yeah. Well, uh, I beseech you. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Imperator. <maybe>. Imperator. <laughs> uh, okay, well, that's something to look forward to, especially for young people. That will definitely happen. Mm. That button will exist. Um, in a in a moment, though, we're gonna we're gonna ask uh, the big question about Malaysia Day and Independence Day here on a bit of culture BFM eighty nine point nine, and we're back with myself, Cam Ruslan. Uh, Onkar Jin and Fu Bijou and now Bijou. Um, yes. Well, Independence Day and Malaysia Day. Yeah. Um, I didn't even realize uh, that it was like a thing um, until I saw on Twitter a couple of days ago where um, I think my friend Elena Murang had posted an IG story uh, saying that um, just a reminder that Malaysia is uh, not 60 plus years old. It's only, I think, 50 plus because Malaysia only existed since 1963. And then she hopes that, you know, all those corporate brands and mm. and uh, other people will be mindful of this when they're putting out Hari Madika uh, advertisements and all that. So another musician, Ziavi, uh, screenshotted Alana's uh, IG story, put it on Twitter, and then suddenly <laughs> I see all the, a lot of like quote tweets and um, statements from people accusing Bornean people of making a fuss over nothing. Mm. Just to be and clear, the three I, of us are, are we're all. Um, some Andrew, yeah. yeah. We're all West Malaysians. Yeah. I, but, but if I flash back to 15 years ago, say, <laughs> then. Certainly in Kale in West Malaysia, Madeka was it. And mm-hmm. I don't think many, it wasn't really a thing that's like to even think about. I don't know, people didn't even think about Malaysia Day and, the, and it, you know. But I think it's becoming much, much more of a, a recognized um, thing, important thing that, you know, Malaysia was created in 1963 when <laughs> Sabah, Sarawak, and indeed Singapore. Um, <laughs> joined uh, together with with Malaya. Yeah, to form Malaysia. Yeah. 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 A good thing too. I just found it interesting how, you know, I guess from a, like, I, I'm not from Borneo, like none of us are, and I don't presume to speak for them, um, but I can't imagine how it feels like to face that sort of erasure, mm. you know, from your fellow Malaysians when you're trying to, I guess, just bring up awareness in a very gentle and kind way to say that, hey, you know, like traditionally throughout history, we've been neglected. And and like you said, 15 years ago, Malaysia Day wasn't even a thing because it wasn't seeped into the national consciousness, right? Hari Medika was everything. And to, to face that sort of erasure throughout your life and even today in 2022 to have people want to deny your existence that way. I don't know how that feels. And I, but I bet it's not a great feeling. Mm. Kajin. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, uh, I think it, it's also come along with, you know, an increasing feeling that 
they got the raw end of the deal, so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. Like um, Sarawak and Sabah. So I think, especially amongst um, you know, my peers and my uh, East Malaysian colleagues, the insistence on Malaysia Day is is not just oh, you know, we have to remember this day in history, but also a manifestation of like you know, this is symbolic of the kind of very subtle kind of neglect that an erasure of 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 how it came to be and you know one point that i always get corrected upon is when i say oh you know um the they they always have to remind me oh it's a federation which means that it was a coming together at different states right um and you can't treat say uh, you can't think of of Sabah and Sarawak historically the same way you think of say oh Pahang and Terengganu you know came yeah. into the federation right yeah mm, yeah off the top of my head, I think there were six different types of um, British Malaya, uh, or British Malayan yeah. possessions. Um, and uh, and so they each have their own different historical memory and cultural legacy. But uh, yeah, also part of the big deal for uh, the joining was Singapore. Mm-hmm. And that was an important part of the deal. And the deal looked kind of different after Singapore when it was no longer part of the... Uh, federation uh yeah because i think like sabah sarawak and singapore came in as equal partners on an equal footing and status as all the states of malaya you know the sabah and sarawak weren't weren't like the two other states they came they had they came in like on on an equal footing but somehow throughout history that has they've been relegated to like a role that well, they shouldn't have been relegated to, honestly. Yeah, so. yeah, uh, but but I mean, but still, nonetheless, the <clears throat> in terms of parliamentary numbers, that 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 it's very important. <laughs> um, uh, they're still very important, and and I don't, know, I don't know for us as ordinary people, I think that we uh, hold, we hold you in great. I hold them in great. God, a lot of friends, friends from there. But I guess it's this. This would be a three West Malaysians kind of being late to the party, I definitely would say absolute certainty, like yeah. I say, 15 years ago, I knew where East Malaysians, but it still didn't cross my mind. I didn't think of, I didn't really stop to even think, what does Malaysia Day mean? What's it about? I, don't, I, never, I never stopped at all. But it's, mm-hmm. I do believe it is big, amping up, I think. Yeah. Like, like honestly, for my, like if I were given a choice, I'd probably prefer to celebrate Malaysia Day more than Merdeka Day. Like Merdeka Day is important, of course, you know, because Malaya gained independence and that was like the, the starting point of everything. But the Malaysia we know today happened only mm-hmm. on you know, in, in 1963. And and like I would personally just on my own um whatever I I would choose to celebrate Malaysia Day more. Well, I mean, and you've every right to do that. But I, I do think, though, that the story and the romance of Madeka mm. is it's a good story and it's really entrenched in the hearts and minds yes. of West Malaysians. Um, whereas Malaysia Day, I think, you know, I think all people involved would say it's, it, was, it was negotiations and it was, mm-hmm. yeah. it was deals. Uh, but, but like just in what you just said, isn't that the issue, though? Like mm-hmm. entrenched in the minds and consciousness of West Malaysians, what what gives us the right to feel that we're more important? No, I'm not saying more important, but I'm saying the story mm-hmm. is yeah. it it has a a 
a good resonance. Hook. Yeah. yeah. Whereas the story of Malaysia, it just doesn't have that. If you're going to make a movie, it it would be a tough sell. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> No, and then a bunch of people go into a conference room and then they come out again. <laughs> well, yeah, what they talked about would be good. Um, yeah, okay. So, uh, well, when is, I should know this. We should all know this. Kajin, you know this. Malaysia Day, testing you. Kajin. What, 16th of September? Uh, Bijou is nodding. I, I'm, I'm very bad with dates. I forget everyone's birthday. Yep. Oh, it yes, is. Yes. <laughs> I was like, are you asking me this? Like, okay. <laughs> yeah, correct. No, 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 correct. Well done. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think uh, I wanted to, 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 to speak something to, to what you said, Cam, about kind of like the resonance of this image of, you know, Tunku doing the whole Merdeka thing, right? I, I, I mean, I, I feel like, you know, there's a lot of kind of machinery and kind of myth-making that is very... Well, purposeful that is created around that moment, right? I mean, it wasn't even the first moment that I think the word Merdeka was uttered to a crowd. I think the first time, historically speaking, Merdeka was uttered to a crowd was actually in Malacca. But that moment doesn't quite have the same ring because it's not in a stadium, it's not like sexy. Um, so I feel like, you know, we, we need to get the filmmakers and directors uh, to do like a whole... Uh, bang wow pow wow kind of thing it's it i guess it's like how kind of like suddenly you know mat mat kilau is like the kind of uh big cultural icon when he was like a footnote in the kind of sajara books before mm. it can be made myths can be made okay uh, a bit of a shout out there from the malaccan chauvinists <laughs> <laughs> yeah it all happened in malacca first uh, <laughs> Okay, well, we move on, and we will celebrate the, the actual day soon enough. And yep. so we move on, though, to the final part of the show, recommendations. We recommend something that we think might be of interest. And, well, I go first, don't I? So my recommendation is buy artwork. Mm -hmm. um, go out there and buy some Malaysian artwork. You, <clears throat> I would say, you know, if you can afford it, but actually it, it can also be quite affordable. Sure, you could go and spend a million ringgit, <laughs> if you want, on a on Malaysian artist. But you can also get things for cheaper. I went to a gallery opening while, a wonderful artist, and her work was going for a few thousand, but I managed to pick one up for 600. And I'm looking at it right now, and it's small, and it's really nice. Um, and and also, in tandem with that, uh, Balai Sunni, the, the uh, National Art Gallery, is still, I believe, uh, running a, um, a deal where you can get vouchers for 500 ringgit to buy Malaysian art. So if you buy artwork that's over a certain value, I believe it's 1,000, you can get up to six uh, vouchers to subsidize your purchase of 500. So, uh, and you go through their website and it's it's still running. It was a COVID um, initiative and it's a good initiative. Uh, it's a good thing. So uh, check that out and go buy some artwork and young artists and just feel invested in in, and enriched by some artwork from Malaysia. Yeah. Interesting you should say that. Like, I've got, like, a wall full of Malaysian artists, and I'm also staring at um, Malaysian art. And I, I, unfortunately, so I got a lot of these pieces for, like, 100, 150, you know? Yeah, but I agree. We should support more Malaysian art. Mm. 
Kajin, on the other hand, is sitting in a bare room with absolutely nothing. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I've, I've got uh, some art lying around. Uh, lying around. Um, but please do. And, uh, you know, you could, you'll could you find some great stuff. So uh, that's my recommendation. Go buy some artwork. And uh, Kajin, what's your recommendation? Um, I want to recommend um, a book called A People's History of Malaysia um, by Syed Hussein Ali. Um, I think you can buy it from Garak Budaya and, you know, various local bookstores. Um, But essentially, you know, um, it's a kind of counter or kind of response to the officialdom kind of history, which is very much a history that's very, very focused on the peninsula. It's very, very focused on famous figures and great persons and all that. And instead, this is a history of from below, uh, kind of the about workers and miners and, 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 and hawkers and how they came together to basically make Malaysia the place it is today. Mm. Uh, when, did, uh, when did this book get published? Oh. Um, so a while back? It was a while back. Um, uh, um, um, 2018, Syed? 2017. Oh, not that long then. So yeah, Syed not Hussain, that long ago. So Syed Hussein Ali, was, um, he was locked up in uh, under ISA for... Yeah. Gosh, like eight years or something. Yeah. And uh, he wrote a really wonderful um, description of his time in detention, um, which I, I would also recommend. But uh, so this particular book is uh, the name of it again? A People's History of Malaysia. Yeah. It's, it's very much, in, I think, inspired by um, a similar book called A People's History of America by Howard Zinn, which is also another a kind of... Uh, history from below, history from the common mm. man, the workers, the the kind of people who actually you know toiled to make the place yeah. it, it, it was. Yeah, great, great. Okay, uh, Bijou. Um, can I be completely selfish and say uh, check out my new music video that's dropping <laughs> like Thursday, August twenty fifth. Um, it's something that is really out of my comfort zone and. Uh, my team and I worked super hard on the music video and it features a bubble artist, a guy who does eight rings, a sire wheel and three young uh, dancers who are so talented. I wish I had half the talent. Um, but yeah, the song is called Jiwa Prakasa and I hope you'll get some eyes on YouTube if you can. I would really appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, no, you can't. Uh <laughs> <laughs> but you've done it now, so let's. <laughs> hey, you didn't really exactly wait for an answer there, did you? <laughs> can can we play the song or something? Yeah, I, I get. Well, we got to you know listen to it first. But, <laughs> but oh, it's um. Oh. So well, how how is it sold, as it were? It's just free to free to air, watch. free to watch. Yeah. How do you how do you make money? Yeah. I don't. Oh, okay. Well, I, I consider was <laughs> this an investment um and I see the returns in other ways. It could be where I might get uh more performances out of it, like more publicity and it all it's like all a circle, you know. So I invest in my music this way and I see the returns in other ways. Yeah. Okay, so uh, one more time, the, the, the name of the song and how we can find it. It's called Jiwa Prakasa, and you can find it on my YouTube channel, 
just gotta type my name b-i-h-z-h-u and it will be released on thursday august 25th wonderful wonderful thank you and uh well that brings us to the end of this week's show just in time you might have heard i've got a bit of a thunderstorm going on oh my goodness the rain's pouring um <laughs> so thank you so much to onkar jin thank you very much and thank you to you bijou good luck with the song thank you very much <laughs> And uh, and that's it from me, uh, Cam Ruslan, for this week. And please join us next week for another exciting episode of A Bit of Culture here on BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.